Welcome to the FX Church Podcast. We are glad you've chosen to join with us. We are in the midst of our series in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. The title of the series is called Inheritance, and this is week five. And we are in an inheritance battle. And the terms are set. The question is, what inheritance will we embrace? You know, we find ourselves waiting like God's people were at the time of Joshua. Before that, and even as they're going into battle, and they waited 600 years for the promised inheritance that was given to Abraham. They lived in slavery for 400 years. They wandered 40 years in a desert, and now they're moving in, clinging to a promised inheritance that, that many probably strong and courageous. Would we still believe and lead others to believe that Yahweh saves, which is what Joshua means, and believe in God's promised inheritance? I mean, 600 years is a long time to wait. Well, we've been waiting 2,000 years. Since Christ came to earth, He died, He said He would come again, and, and we find ourselves in waiting, still trusting in an inheritance that God said He would bring to His people. And just like in Joshua 1.6, where it says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. He calls us to be the same. In the midst of the mess that we see ourselves in, the world that we're in, he tells us to be strong and courageous, believing that someday we will see what he has promised, his inheritance distributed as it should be, as he sees fit to those he wants to give it to. This week, we're going to look at the idea of being set apart, being set apart. And, you know, we're celebrating my daughter's wedding this week, where two people are gathered together and they're declaring to the world that we are going to be set apart for one another and no one else. And we are going to fight for that covenant. See, marriage is a picture of what this looks like. And God said, from the beginning of creation, that when the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chose to create mankind, they were choosing to set themselves apart for their Godhead role in making that happen. Jesus, at the beginning, had the end in mind. He knew that mankind would betray Him. Just like when two people get married, they know there's going to need to be forgiveness and grace and truth and justice and help from, from others. And it's the same. God knew what was going to happen, but he chose anyway to set apart himself and then set apart a people that would set themselves apart for him. And the wedding is the perfect vision of that, that God starts the Bible with a couple coming together and a wedding, and so to speak, and it ends with Christ and his bride, the church, and the wedding. We pick up in Joshua chapter 7. It says this, The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Camri, son of Zabi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. You see, they had just destroyed the city of Jericho, and God said, look, I don't want you to take any plunder. I want you to trust me to be your provision this time. And he told them what to do with the gold and the silver. It was to be dedicated to the Lord. It was a gift to him, not to be taken 
for themselves. And Achan decides that he's going to keep a little for himself. He was unfaithful in the things that God said needed to be set apart the way God said to set them apart. And that's where we find ourselves. We've been told that we should set our hearts and set ourselves apart for Christ. But instead, so often what we do is we don't do that. We use things we shouldn't use when we know that we're set apart for Him. This is one of the reasons why sexual sin is so egregious, is because you're taking someone who has set apart for someone else and should be set apart for God, and you're using them for yourself without setting yourself apart for them. In other words, the two of you are just, even if it's consensual, you're using each other without having to set each other apart for that use. And so being set apart is a big deal for God. It's what a covenant does before God. And you know, this guy, Achan, made a covenant and he embraced the consequences of that covenant. If you look back and as Joshua was taking people into the promised land, they made the covenant. They would do what God said. They would do what Joshua said. So this guy has has broken the covenant that he said he would keep. He could have not made the covenant. He could have said, you know, I don't think I'm I want to do that. I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to stay on this side of the Jordan. Uh, You guys can go. But he chose to want the benefits of a covenant without the cost of being set apart. And see, that's what God can't stand. He wants us to see that he gave the benefit of life. He gave the benefit of creation. He gave the benefit of humanity to be created in his image. And at the same time knew he was setting himself apart to pay the price for the sin that we deserve to have to pay for. And you know, being set apart means marking the boundaries. And God had marked the boundaries and this guy crossed him. We pick up in Joshua 7, 2. It says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but Send about 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since the people of Ai are so few. Don't wear out all our people there. In other words, these guys are sent in to spy, and their mentality is, oh, this is going to be easy. This is nothing like what God did at Jericho. And this can so easily happen to us. These guys don't pray. They don't seek the Lord. They have pride in that, well, God won last time, so he's going to do it for us again. They compared this probably in their mind to to Jericho and thought, oh, this is nothing comparatively. And and this is what happens when we can have a mountaintop experience is all of a sudden we start to see through the lens of it's going to be easy. This can happen when people come to know Christ and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, this is going to cost me something. And that should be on us as leaders We need to be sure we're leading the people. And at this moment, Joshua forgets to lead the people to pray. Remember, before Jericho, they consecrated themselves. They prayed. They they celebrated Passover and got their hearts ready. And then they went and they even circumcised all the men to to take on the city. And then they go to the next city, Ai, and they think, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake because God's done bigger stuff than this. We got to be very careful with how we approach God, His will, and His purposes. Because I see this all the time. We're kind of the prosperity gospel of our day will tell us, you can just name it, claim it. Well, God's going to do it, so I just 
Let's do it. Versus really taking the time to check your heart and make sure that God is in this and they don't do this. In verse four, it says, so about 3,000 men went up from there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from the outside the gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. So so they were like, oh my goodness, God isn't going to deliver us. In other words, it wasn't easy and they panicked. They couldn't believe that God would ask them to fight. They were confused on what was going on. And and remember before, God was saying, are you for us or for our enemies? Joshua asked probably Jesus that was standing there as you read in the chapter before. And what happens? God says, neither. I'm for the person that will uphold my covenants. That's what God's inheritance is. It is a set-apart covenant for his people, and he keeps his covenants. In Galatians 1, Paul is writing to the church in the city of Galatia. And in verse 15, it says, But when God, who from my birth set me apart, Paul says, and called me by his grace, that means unmerited favor, we don't deserve to be set apart, we don't deserve to receive his grace, but we receive it. It says, By his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me, not to me, but reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Jump down to verse 22. It says, I remained personally unknown to the Judeans churches in Christ. You see, Paul, who came to faith, knew he was set apart, but took the time to develop his inner self before he went into battle. He he went years. And today we see people coming to know Christ. And then all of a sudden we put them on a platform especially if they're a celebrity, they come to know Jesus and it's like, we just want to put them out on display for everybody where Paul doesn't even reveal himself to the leaders yet. He goes away and he probably works a job and just does simple things. He's not even doing his ministry and it takes years for him to be ready. And if there was anybody in scripture ready from the moment of salvation to start their ministry and preaching the gospel, it was Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the Bible forward and backwards. Anybody that would have been the one that was like, man, this guy's ready to go. He's been trained. He's been equipped was Paul. And yet God had to put him through the preparation process to set him apart, to get him to see his need to set himself apart and to set his heart apart. And that's what God's doing now with the people as they enter into the promised land. In Romans 1, Paul says this in verse 1. He says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. 
which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and who has been declared to be power, the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. We have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. So Paul is again saying, I've been singled out. I've been set apart to proclaim the good news of what God is doing and what God has done. And he says, it's an ancient promise. It's an ancient inheritance that he promised long ago that that came true in Christ. And we wait now telling that message to those He is going to come again. And just like in the Old Testament, God said he wanted to raise up a people that would make him known to the nations. Here, Paul says, for those of us who believe in Jesus, our job is to do our lives in such a way that we make him known to the nations and starting with the people right around us. And then Peter, Peter, the apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents dispersed, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, Paul, Peter here says, look, just like Paul, we've been set apart by the Spirit of God for His purposes to obey Him and obey what He's done in our lives by cleansing us by his blood. We've been set apart for his grace and his peace to be on us. That God didn't set us apart to be like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to set you apart, I'm going to put you in prison. He says, no, I'm going to set you apart because I want to lavish my love and my grace and I want to lavish my character on you. It's what a marriage is supposed to look like where we, we give ourselves fully to the other person regardless of what they do. And God has given himself fully to us and ask us to do the same. And God's people in Joshua had not done that. Someone had chosen not to follow him. In the book of Acts, we read a story, I'm not going to go into it, where there were people that had sold some property and they'd set some money aside and they said they were giving it to God and they lied. They were both struck dead in the early church in the New Testament. God takes seriously, takes seriously our words And when we choose to set something apart for him, he's going to hold us to it because he loves us, because he wants us to teach us that he is a person of his word. And if we think we're just going to slide by that and get by with that, we're not. God holds us to account just like we see here. Because look in Joshua chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destructions? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? What's interesting here is now Joshua's praying. Now the elders are praying. Now that a crisis has hit, they're serious about talking to God. Isn't this just like us? 
God wants to talk with us all the time. He wants us to have a conversation. We are to pray at all times, as scriptures say, but typically we don't pray until things are bad. Then we really seek him. We just take things for granted, think things are going on just fine without ever checking in with God. And now Joshua is checking in. And then even when he checks in, Joshua has this attitude of like, why did you do this to us? He doesn't even consider the fact that maybe they've done it to themselves by breaking a covenant. No, they, he almost blames God. Why would you do this? What, why would you make this happen? And can you just think God's standing in heaven going, are you serious? This is exactly what I said would happen if you break my covenant, and it's what you agreed to have happen to you. So instead of saying, God, how have we sinned? Joshua was looking at him and saying, what have you done? And this is what we do with God. We can't stand to look around at our world and recognize that it's our sin that's caused the mess. It's my sin. It's your sin. It's the, but instead, we point fingers. It's not wrong to point out sin. It's not wrong to talk about what's just or unjust. It's not wrong to deal with sin. But it is if we haven't gone before the Lord with our own hearts. In verse 9, it says, When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, Joshua says, they will surround us and will wipe out your, our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? Now Joshua looks at God and is like, And if you don't do what this, then you're going to look bad. And God's in heaven going, I'm not going to look bad. You guys are going to look bad. I'm God. I'm I'm fine. He questions God as if he's going to make himself, that no. And this is exactly what we do. And it should give us some confidence to know that Joshua, who was the leader, struggles just like we do in his approach to God. Verse 10, this is what the Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why are you on the ground? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put the things in their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart now for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. And see, this is the part we don't want to hear. That when we're unwilling to set apart things for God, that he doesn't just kind of go, okay, never mind, let's move on to the next thing. He is going to deal with our sin. He's going to deal with the thing that keeps us from worshiping him, deal with our hearts. That's exactly what God does because God keeps his word and he wants to give us his full inheritance, but he's not going to give it to people who are going to use it selfishly for their own desires. And that's exactly where it is. The people can repent. They can ask forgiveness. His covenant's still good. He's still doing his part of the covenant. But he's just looking at them and saying, no, Joshua, this isn't about what I've done. It's a problem with you guys. Galatians 5, 7 says this. Paul's writing again to the church in Galatia. says, what happened? You were running well. Who, pre who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from the one who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, just a little bit of sin spreads through everything. I have confidence in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, Achan used the stuff he saw for his own desire, his own flesh. He's like, no, use your freedom to celebrate, to, to serve each other. Verse 14 in Galatians 5 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Divide and bite and devour one another is not pointing out sin, right? It's not about Paul's pointing out sin right here. He's saying someone's persuaded you're sinning. That's He's saying if you're just constantly at one another and you're not willing to actually talk about what's sinful and not sinful and how to deal that in grace and forgiveness, then, then that's going to be a mess. That's not God's inheritance. That's not what it looks like to be set apart. He goes on in verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that sounds just like what we heard, that if you practice these things, I'm not going to be with you. These things have, these are set apart. These are the wicked things you have to set apart and say they're not a part of who God is. And I want him to help me set my heart apart away from those things. Those things are off limits. They're set apart. And I want to set my heart apart. Galatians 5.22 says, for the fruit of the Spirit, I want to set my heart to the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've set apart. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. It's about following Him, keeping our eyes on Him, not looking around and saying, ooh, I want that. I wish I had that. I think I want this. It's saying, no, I'm going to I'm going to walk with him daily. I'm going to choose to set my heart apart for him each day and see what he does with that. Joshua 7.13 goes on. It says, go, consecrate the people, Joshua, or God, the Lord, tell, tell them to consecrate themselves, the Lord says, for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You must be, you will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, you will present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage. That is a serious consequence. You have to remember, they just burned the city of Jericho, and it looks like, yeah, that's what God does to his enemies. God is saying, look, the only way to be purified is by fire. We know in the New Testament that Jesus is going to come back someday, and he's going to burn everything. Everything will be destroyed, all flesh, all things, and he will rebuild it new, and we will get new bodies. All God is doing here is showing what the final outcome is. That those who who love him, those who are committed to him, those who surrender and confess to him, there's salvation. But to those who won't and who are hiding and refuse to deal with their hearts before him and and embrace his grace and and come and confess their sin, the fire is waiting. Joshua 7, 16 goes on. Joshua got up early the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was selected. He had the clans of Judah come forward, and the Zerahite clan was selected. He had the Zerahite clan come forward by heads of families, and Zabdi was selected. Then he had Zabdi's family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, 
son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected, was set apart. Now Achan has been set apart. He's been singled out, but it's not in a good way. It's not for God's grace and love. It's for God's justice. Verse 19 says, So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord your God of Israel and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. Achan replied to Joshua, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. You can see for yourself, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the money under the cloak. In other words, Achan was hoping he wouldn't be found out. He was hiding. And now that he's been found out, now he wants to confess. Now he wants to say, oh, it's on me. And it's too late. God's already called him out. He could have had the opportunity to repent, but he didn't. Now it's too late. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the money underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and the Israelites, spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, the bars of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, donkey, and sheep, his tent and all that he had and brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So so Joshua sent messengers, sorry, So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies and threw stones on them and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Achor to this day or the Valley of Trouble. You see, it is merciful. We don't know what happened with Achan's salvation. We just know that this was what God said would happen if you disobeyed. He had already just punished the enemies that wouldn't repent. Jericho would not repent. He can't just let Achan slide by now. He has to have Achan deal with the sin that he's committed. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. You see, Peter is writing, and it's like he could have been writing to to Achan. He's saying there's a fiery ordeal that, that, that is happening actually a persecution in this time. And there's also a fiery ordeal coming at the end of time. And he says, look, God's going to judge his own family first, his own household first. He's he's not just running around judging everybody. He says, I want to deal with my own kids, their heart. You guys have to get right before me. And then we have to be willing not to, to do evil and suffer like Achan, but to be willing to fight for what's good and right and suffer and lay down our lives for the gospel to declare his glory in his name, not to try to get some glory, some fame and some goods for ourselves or to get them for our family. 
So it may seem harsh what God did to Achan, but you also have to remember 36 innocent people lost their lives in the battle at Ai. Someone had to pay the price. And Achan was the one that had to pay that price. So what happens? Well, in Joshua 8, this is what God does. Joshua 8, 1 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole military force with you and go attack Ai. Look, I've handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, city, and land. Treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king. You may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole military force set out to attack Ai. Joshua selected 30,000 fighting men and sent them out at night. He commanded them, pay attention, lie in ambush behind the city, not too far from it, and all of you be ready. Man, I love this. God is saying, look, you need to pay attention. You need to wait and you need to be ready. You need to be set apart and ready. That's, the, that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians today. We're to pay attention to what's going on around us. We're to lie and wait and see what God's doing and engage it. And we're to always be ready to give a defense to, for the hope that's in us always realizing that we've been set apart for God's grace and we want others to know they can be set apart for grace instead of destruction. That's our message. That's the message Christ brought to us. And here he says, look, now now Joshua's not doing his own military plan. He's listening to God and so are the people. In chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Then all the people who are with me will approach the city. When they come out against us, as they did the first time, we will flee from them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us as before. While we are fleeing from them, you are to come out of your ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God has handed it over to you. After taking the city, set it on fire. Follow the Lord's command. See that you do as I have ordered you. So Joshua sent them out and they went to the ambush site and waited between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But he spent that night with the troops. Here's Joshua sleeping with the troops. He's out with his men. See, that's what Jesus did. He came from heaven. He's Yahweh who saves. He came from heaven to earth, took on bodily form, and he stayed with us. He came to us to get us ready for what he has for us. No different than Joshua. This Yahweh who saves, who is Joshua. Just like Jesus' name means Joshua, who is Yahweh who saves. In verse 10 of chapter 8, it says, Joshua started early the next morning, mobilized them. Then he and the elders of Israel led the troops to Ai. All those who were with him went up and approached the city, arriving opposite of Ai and camped to the north of it with a valley between them and the city. Now Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. The military force was stationed in the way, the main camp to the north of the city and its rear guard to the west of the city. And that night, Joshua went into its valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites, the men of the city hurried and went out early in the morning so that he and all his people could engage Israel in battle at a suitable place facing the Arba. But he did not know that there was an ambush waiting for him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten back by them and fled toward the wilderness. Then all the troops of Ai were summoned to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not run out after Israel, leaving the city exposed while they pursued Israel. See, in their pride, these people think, we're going to do this again. We're going to defeat them again, just like the Israelites did. See, we have to be careful that that's not the mentality that we have with God. We have to be careful that that's not what we do with Him, that we just run in our 
pride, leaving ourselves exposed to the enemy's attack. See, once you keep figure, figure something out and you think, I'll just keep doing it without question, God will be the one that comes in and questions because that's how the false gods trap us. That's not how the real God, the real God wants us to walk daily, to trust him in new ways and new mercies each day. And if he tells us to do the same thing, then we do the same thing. We need to be listening. We need to be paying attention. We need to be ready for him. Verse 18 of chapter 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out the sword in your right hand towards Ai, for I will hand the city over to you. So Joshua held out his sword toward it. When he held out his hand, the men in ambush rose quickly from the positions. They ran, entered the city, captured it, and immediately set it on fire. The men of Ai turned and looked back, and the smoke from the city was rising to the sky. They could not escape in any direction, and the troops who had fled to the wilderness now became the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men... An ambush had captured the city and that the smoke was rising from it. They turned back and struck down the men of Ai. The men in ambush came out of the city against them and the men of Ai were trapped between the Israelites' forces, some on one side, some on the other. They struck them down until no survivor or fugitive remained, but they captured the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing everyone living in Ai who had pursued them in the open country, and when every last one of them had fallen by the sword, and Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the sword, the total of those who fell that day, both men and women, was 12,000, all the people of Ai. And remember, this might seem harsh, but you have to remember that God has given these people 600 years, 600 years to repent and call Him God since the covenant of Abraham, since the 400 years in slavery, 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness. God had Jericho be destroyed. He he showed himself by doing miracles. He is proclaiming to this city before the first battle even happens, you can surrender, you can surrender to me, but if you don't, there will be stiff consequences. And God doesn't hold these people to anything less than he holds his people to. And we need to hear that today. It's so easy for us to think, well, we've got grace. We can get by with anything. But God, you take care of those people over there. When we need to check our own hearts and say, God, we want you to have justice, but we are grateful for your grace. Lord, they deserve justice, but we want them to see your grace. See, that's the message God wants to speak. In A26, it says, Joshua did not draw back his hand and was holding the sword until all the inhabitants of Ai were completely destroyed. Israel plundered only the cattle and the spoil of that city for themselves, according to the Lord's command that he had given Joshua. Joshua burned Ai and left it a permanent ruin, desolate to this day. He hung the body of the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that his body be taken down from the tree. They threw it down at the entrance of the city gate and put large piles of rocks over it, which remain to this day. The Bible says anyone hung on a tree is cursed. It is the ultimate picture of the wrath of God to be hung on a tree. We live in a country that has a horrible past of what we did to an entire race ethnic group of people through lynchings when it was our own curse, not theirs, that we were bringing on ourselves and that we're still dealing with to this day. And this king in Ai was hung on a tree, but you know who else was hung on a tree? Jesus. Jesus was hung on a tree to take on our curse, the curse we deserve. He was buried in a rock. 
in a tomb. Only he didn't stay there. He came back to life to show that he is Yahweh who saved. You see, God didn't even keep his son from the truth of what was agreed to in the inheritance covenant. His son fully embraced, Jesus fully embraced that covenant, that curse, so that we could have his blessing and his grace. And he wants us to embrace the death of ourselves so that we can be his messengers of blessing and grace to others. At verse 30, it says in chapter 8, At that time Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebel to the Lord, the God of Israel. Just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. Then they offered burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings on it. There, there on the stones, Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. All Israel, foreigner and citizen alike, with their elders, officers, and judges, stood on either side of the ark of the Lord's covenant, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Man, this is powerful to see this happen. As Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded earlier, half of them were in front of Mount Jezreel, and the half, the other half in front of Mount Ebal to bless the people of Israel, to bless them. Afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that was written in the book of the law. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the little children, and the foreigners who were with them. Can you imagine how long it took to read all five books and no one left? They all stayed there to worship, to listen, to, to hear God's laws that are good, that revealed his heart so, so Joshua sets the people apart. He sets the king of Ai, the city of Ai, apart from destruction, and then immediately says, we need to set ourselves and remind ourselves that we have been set apart to know the most glorious God. Let's hear from him. Let's hear his word. Let's see who he is. Let's set ourselves apart for him. And that's exactly what Joshua does. What a picture for us that we are to set apart God's word in our hearts, that God's word is such a great inheritance to us that it doesn't matter if we're winning battles. It doesn't matter if we're seeing earthly outcomes. What truly matters is our worship, our surrendered hearts, our longing and loving of his word. That's what Joshua is doing in this moment. As we wrap up, Hebrews 4, 8 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the people, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, sharper than the sword that Joshua held the whole battle of Ai. The word of God is even greater than that. That, that This sword of the word, it's penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. 
No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, we're going to have to give an account one day. Here's the deal. If we know Christ, we can stand before him. And Christ himself will say, I've paid his account in full. And if we haven't had that happen, then we will stand and God will say, I have to punish you. I have to set you on fire. Because that's what Scripture says. It's what Peter said. It's what's said in the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's a symbol of complete destruction. Not because God is mean, but He's a good, just God who judges righteously. And someday He's going to burn everything anyway and start over again. Why? Because the only way to get rid of the impurity is that we have to allow ourselves to be crucified in Christ so that we can live for him and tell others about him. And the word of God has been set apart for us and for our inheritance. Let me ask you this morning, have you been set apart for Christ? Have you set Christ apart in your heart? Are there things that you refuse to set apart that you cling to that aren't good, that you need to set apart for God? And are there things that you need to set apart for God, like the reading of His Word, a quiet time, prayer, meeting together with believers, maybe sharing your faith, discipling others, maybe your treasures. You need to stop setting everything apart for the world. You need to start setting treasure apart for God. You need to get your life cleaned up in such a way and allow God to clean you up in such a way that that you are set apart useful for him for service. Look, it took Paul years to be ready to do what God had him to do. He had to live a simple life. Jesus, for 30 years, lived a simple life until it was time for him to start his ministry. It's not wrong to have to do some simple things for a while to to follow God and learn his grace and his love and, and to set your life apart and get ready for him. That's what the people of God are learning in Joshua, and it's what we need to learn today. That yes, Yahweh saves, but we are to be set apart. And when we're not, Yahweh will step up to be sure that we're not hurting people, but we're helping people be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you that you set us apart for your grace when we know you and your love. Lord, I pray that anyone listening to this podcast would know that if they don't know you, they're set apart for destruction. And that's not your heart. You want them to be set apart so that when the purification fire comes, what's left is what you've done in us. It's not what we've done. It's not our works that save us. It's what you've done. And when we surrender to you, when we die to ourselves, then you come into us. You resurrect us. You give us your spirit in our hearts for us to be able to live for you. And you give us your word as such a precious gift, your sword for us to do battle in this life with. Lord, I thank you for the imagery and picture that's here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set our lives apart. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people struggling and setting areas of their lives apart, that they would reach out to our church. They reach out to me as the pastor. Um, And Lord, they they find someone. They finally just do business with you to set themselves apart for you. And they'd find joy in doing it, not burden, but a joy in being set apart and loved by you knowing that their price has been paid and that that would lead them to go out and tell others as well. Well, we thank you for the inheritance that's promised because of what you've done, that you hold to your covenants, 
both the blessings and the curses because you love us and you love the world and you don't let anything slide, but instead you put it on your son. So we thank you. We praise you for this time in your word. Amen. Thanks for joining us. I pray that you'd have a great week. If you need to reach out to us, you can go on our website at fxchurch.com. You can find a place there. You can go and place to put prayer requests in. If you want counseling, if you want anything, please let us know. We want to serve you in any way we can. We want to help you to be set apart for the inheritance that's coming. Have a great week. See you later.